Blog Talk Radio. Hello, devoted moms out there. Happy, happy Thursday. This is Tasha with Coffee Break with Tasha and Regina. Hi, everyone. This is Regina. I'm really looking um, forward to today's show. And I missed you all. I missed you last week. Um, I know, I did too. (laughs) (laughs) Around Thursday last week, I actually was um, on a, I think, laying on a a floaty (laughs) in In the pool. No, it was in it was in, in I mean, Honduras. That's right. What ocean that was? I don't even know what ocean that was. Wow. But um, I did think about all of the moms that were probably busy um, putting together Thanksgiving dinners or trying to get to a Thanksgiving dinner or mm-hmm. you know you know wanting to be at a Thanksgiving dinner. And so I'm just um, I was happy to hear. Gosh, we had so many folks hear our rebroadcast last week. I know that was that was exciting. I was, um, I so look forward to doing doing the show and talking to other moms. So I'm so glad that we did have a rebroadcast and looking forward to doing this show because this show is uh, actually I think going to be very exciting um, and very packed too. I think we have a few guests that are calling in and going to share their story. So I'm really excited about hearing about it. If you're listening online and would like to call in and tell us a little bit about your story, well, actually, I guess I should tell them. What the subject is, huh? That might help. <laughs> sure. uh, why not? We, why not? We're doing a part two of our series, How Did You Become a Mom? So um, two weeks ago, we spoke with a mom who uh, started off as a stepmother of four kids, and we spoke to somebody else who had a few miscarriages and then a preemie but was able to become a mom, um, and then how Regina and I became moms and told our story. So this week we're talking about adoption more specifically. Either were you adopted or have you adopted or, you know, how has some form of adoption impacted your life because it's actually impacted both Regina and I in different ways. And then Mm -hmm. we have guests today who have also, you know, experienced adoption in their own way. And so adoption is really kind of an umbrella word because there's so many different ways that it looks. So if adoption has impacted you uh, moms out there in any way, we would love to hear your story. So you can call in at 347-215-6138, or you can join us on Facebook at Devoted Moms or even at Twitter, Tasha and Regina, um, hashtag Devoted Moms. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Okay. Um, so, Tasha, um, yeah, we've had a chance to spend a little bit of time last week together, only a couple of hours face-to-face. Um, and so I did want to just recap and say it was so great to see you and to no. be reminded, um, just like what it feels like when you're in the same space with someone that you're doing life with. And so um, it, I also had in front of me about 10 hours that I thought a lot about the show. And so maybe because we do have guests that are already with us, we've got Marianne and Annette, and we'll talk a little bit about who they are to us and um, to that subject. But, you know, Tasha, I'd like to hear a little bit from your perspective. You know, where does adoption fall, um, I guess, on your life's journeys or your radar? 
Yeah, um, it's actually pretty awesome. But when I first, um, when my husband and I first married, I already had a daughter, um, Jordan, my eldest, and so they are not related by blood. But as soon as we started dating and and eventually getting married, he uh, always desired for her to be his daughter in every way, shape, or form. I remember even one time he had to pick her up from daycare because she was sick and, you know, he was on the emergency list and he had to sign out her name and she had a different last name than his. And he just kind of came home and was like, you know, I really don't like that. I don't like that she doesn't have my last name. And, you know, and so we started looking into him legally adopting her so that he could be her, her father in every in every sense of the word. And it was, you know, something that was completely his idea, something that he really wanted and wanted to go forth. And so I, I of course, was very supportive of that. So we went through the process of, you know, what we had to do here in Georgia to make that possible. And so on December 6th, actually our anniversary is coming oh, up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. December 6th of 2005 is when he adopted her. So that was actually a great year because Kenneth, our first son together, was born that same year. So um, he became a dad two times officially um that year so we'll be celebrating that as well and so we're very um open with our daughter um she was part of the whole process and you know at that age of course you know trying to grasp what all that meant but that's that's how adoption has been you know key in our life and i think that it gave it'll give jordan the, the older that she gets she will understand truly what that meant for him to do that that he didn't just marry me and give me his last name, but he, he wanted her to have the same and he wanted her to never feel like she was separate from our family. So, um, yeah, that's how it's impacted our life, and I'll never forget that. Yeah. I, um, you know, one of the things in, in, you know, being with you through that, because, you know, being Jordan's godmother um, and my own experience as being um, uh, what I refer to myself as a chosen child, my parents chose um to decide to uh, take me on. <laughs> and I think sometimes they were good with that choice. Sometimes I think they questioned it. Uh, but one of the things that I was really, um, I have admired Kenny for years, you know, just for his um, dedication and devotion to being a father. But the other thing was I really admire how you decided to take any shame away from or not to um, create it, not to make that experience a secret. Um, because I think that um, my experience was um, my mother um, lost her battle with addiction, um, the disease of addiction, and so she died as a result of it, and um, I came available, and so there was kind of a call out to the family that this had happened, and, you know, there's this baby, and we want this baby to stay in the family. Um, I had a brother who was a year older who, um, actually went with foster parents and was adopted by the foster parents and um, didn't know until he was 21 that he was adopted or even had another family. But um, my particular story was my um, grandfather's, um, no, my grandmother's uh, sister's grandson adopted me. <laughs> okay. Say that, say, that, say that one more time. It was my my grandmother's sister's grandson. 
So my biological mother and my father who reared me um, were uh, first cousins. So it's probably easy to say that I was reared by my second cousin. Um, on my there topic. you go. <laughs> That's how you've always told me, because you were about to throw me off. I was like, wait a minute, what now? <laughs> I know, you know, I get more complex the older I get. Um, so so um, they, my parents had um, uh, three boys, and my mother had had a miscarriage and um, always wanted a girl, but uh, it was clear that she wasn't going to be able to physically bear any more children. And so they answered the call, and um, I became their daughter. Um, wow. I, I became their daughter, and I, and that's all I was <laughs> um, in the way that I had no idea until my oldest brother um, told someone at school that I was adopted. And so I came home and had a connection, a deep connection to talk with my father and said, you know, tell me, you know, tell somebody that I was adopted. Would you tell him to stop doing that? Because it's not true. And um, my father said, well, actually... And we had this wow. conversation that ended with um, my great-grandma Gladys that I got Christmas presents and birthday cards and telephone calls from was actually my grandmother. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the course of that, my mother that reared me was not home. And she was not happy at all um, when she got home that that had happened. Um, I'm sure. As a mother now, I can kind of see that. <clears throat> but I think my dad uh, just did not want it to be this, you know, wanted me to know, you know, more. And so I appreciated that, but it was very, it became very confusing um, because I couldn't talk about it, but it existed. And it wasn't right. until I was in, um, really in college and started having to do, uh, the genogram and the uh, you know, your family tree that I right. had to start to say, okay, so which group am I talking about? And uh, that's how, when I started. Old, I'm sorry to interrupt. How old were you, mm-hmm. Regina, when your when your brother told you that? My mother said, oh, oh no, I was how in um, I was in elementary school. I was in probably the third grade. Yeah. Okay. About seven yeah, or eight, 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 maybe yeah. eight or nine, maybe. Yeah, okay. yeah, wow. yeah. Which, which is interesting because my daughter just asked me the other day in Sam's, "Mommy, are you adopted?" And I said, "Well, yes, I am." And she looked. She said, oh, "Why haven't you told us?" And she screamed across the the store to her sister, "Sam's, mommy has something to tell you." <laughs> So maybe that's the age when you start to become aware of, you know, who you who you're connected to. And I know it had a lot to do with identity, uh, you know, with just physical um, features. And mm-hmm. so, <laughs> and so I got outed at Sam's. Um, and and so it's, it's interesting because it was just last year I've had I had my first conversation with my mother that raised me about being adopted and why did she do it. Mm-hmm. And right. that was after doing, you know, our devoted moms out there has heard me talk about doing some couch work. And, you know, when you're doing some couch work, you have to investigate, you know, the earliest relationships, um, how they formed and what they look like, and um, not having any real idea of the person who, who actually gave birth to me. Um, right. And what I knew was not very positive. Uh, so I spent a few months kind of, talking, you know, kind of 
seeking. I want to know who was this woman and who, what was she like and what was her personality like. And that's at 41. So, you know, there's wow. some folks out there that are still, you know, and some of it was just out of fear that by me saying something about being adopted was in some form of being ungrateful to the parents who chose me. That raised you, right. Yeah, and that's what wow. it was captured in. And those, I mean, those ideals were reinforced. I mean, it wasn't that I just mm-hmm. grabbed that out the sky. Because um, yeah. my mother just wanted me to just be her daughter. You know, the rest of this mm-hmm. stuff. Um, so, so, so it was interesting um, as I became an adult, and particularly, I think, moved further north, um, I think there's some culture and geographic stuff around how adoption is presented um, and discussed. And so yeah. <clears throat> that's why, you know, to watch you and Kenny so very freely, you know, um, involve Jordan in the process instead of just kind of saying, well, he's your daddy now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, exactly. And trust me, I had family members that wanted me to do it that way. So I remember. I, yeah. You remember. I remember. I remember. Well, we have yeah. a couple of people on hold, so I'm excited to hear. I know you had an opportunity to talk to Annette a little bit before the show, um, but I didn't get a chance to really speak with her yet, so I'm excited to hear a little bit about Annette's story and how adoption has impacted her. Annette, are you there? I am here. Hello. Hello. (laughs) How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's really nice to hear your stories. And I thought what was so interesting about talking about identity, and uh, Mm -hmm. I remember finding out when I was adopted, and my first reaction, I sort of feel bad saying this, was I was, I love my parents who adopted me, but I was 10 years old when I found out, and I was sort of sad that someone, that my mom, mm-hmm. who gave birth to me and probably looked at me and held me even maybe for a second, didn't want me. I mean, there was right. part of me, mm-hmm. even if it was a small part, that very much felt rejected. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. was really a long process to, you know, come to terms with. Especially, I did go to find her and meet her when I was, after I was married and felt my life was in a good place and I wanted to take that journey and I thought I could handle whatever I, whatever came my way. I um and was contemplating having children. I was even more perplexed at what the circumstances were that I was adopted. Okay. And I did okay. go yeah, so I went to find her and you know, it's not like one of the stories you might see on Oprah. It was sort of sad actually. <laughs> it was actually a very it was very um it was an awakening for me because I did get to meet her. Her life had been very sad. The, my whole birth was a very sad situation and um I think the good thing that came from it was I felt a lot less rejected. I had a lot of compassion for what she went through and her sorrow, and then it it took a lot of it off of me. It wasn't any more like my my mommy didn't want me. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That was mm-hmm. right. I carried that around for a long time, sort of like, mm-hmm. gosh, did I was there something about me that just didn't appeal to her? You know, right, right. I wasn't right. you know mature enough when I was little to see that there were so many other circumstances that could have. Um, Led to you know my adoption, so, well, but she put me in. Wow. How did you find out? Well, I was the thing that was different for me. I was in an orphanage for a little while, Catholic Charities, and then I was in a, placed in a foster home, and the, then I was foster you know there for wow. a couple of years, and those parents did adopt me. So I had my last name. I had the original last name. So when I was around ten years old, I was in hmm. school, and my teacher said to me, "Did you know that you were adopted?" Of course, I had no idea. I was like, what? <laughs> and um, 
didn't know that. Went running home from school because you could do that in those days during lunch. I lived really close to my little school on the south side of Chicago. And um, I said, Mom, is it true? And she said, let's wait till your father gets home. She didn't really answer me. And when Dad came home and they said, yes, you know, it was true. And I remember feeling really um, upset by it, really sad. Yes. Really sad about the whole way it transpired. I really didn't know it was happening. I didn't. I think my mom and dad never really knew how to. I think they thought I was a sensitive kid and didn't really ever know how to bring it up with me. Mm-hmm. They were, mm-hmm. you know, they were super people because they adopted four kids, had five of their own, so they were super people. But I just, they didn't really handle that. You know, take it right on. It was sort of like the way I found out was a sort of a tough way to find out. Annette, may I ask how sure. old you are now? I'm an old lady now. I'm 45. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the reason why I asked that I'm Marianne. I am an adoptive mom, and my daughter is 41 years old, and my husband and I adopted her when she was four months old. And -hmm. from what you all have described so far, our experience was totally different. Mm -hmm. We were told at the time that we adopted her, and she was the only child at the time, that she was to be told that she was adopted as soon as she could understand and started asking where babies came from. Wow. So she knew from the beginning. And interestingly enough, um, you know how a lot of scrapbooking is done today? And you Mm -hmm. can usually, you really should do scrapbooking with adopted children too. I don't know, instinctually, I did a scrapbook of her, not just with not just photos, not just a photograph album. It was a scrapbook, and it was very uh, important for her to see where she was when she was a baby, when she was a small infant. So there are pictures of her at that age, mm-hmm. and her um, whole demeanor is more similar to Regina's of being the chosen child, sometimes to the extreme. <laughs> because seven years later, I did have another daughter. Um, Grant, but I want to I also let um, the devoted moms out that are listening know that um, – that you are that we have a personal connection i i consider you my godmother um absolutely you have helped me mature and developed into understanding being chosen um i just was floored the first time you told me you had a daughter named kelly and she was adopted i was like oh, did she know that you're telling me about this like what <laughs> <laughs> but, well but, a like, lot yeah. of that came from her too because oh in, in situations, I would be reluctant to tell people that she was adopted. And she would go into a situation and tell somebody, oh, did you know I was adopted? Did you know my mommy chose me? <laughs> so that has to do a lot with her personality. Uh-huh. And interestingly enough, I'm going to skip ahead. She has never done a search. And that has really? always surprised me. She has two boys, one's 15 and one is nine, and I thought for sure when she had the first one Mm -hmm. that she would do a search because we have no medical history, Mm -hmm. we have very little information, and she did not do the search then. Then when she had her second son, 
She thought about it, contacted the agency, and found out that she would have to have an attorney because her records are sealed. Mm-hmm. We had the same last name. And she decided not to. Yeah. And hmm. um, every what I have learned is everybody's experience is different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's different. And I supported her in terms of doing a search, but you have to be very secure. And I heard you mention, Angela, that you had done a search after you were married. Annette. Was that correct, Annette? I'm yes, probably. yes. Mm-hmm. It was after I was married. I didn't really think I could right. handle whatever came my way. Absolutely. Until. And I think that's generally the case, that the person has to be secure enough to be able to face whatever's out there. But I've always, always, always told my daughter that the hardest thing her mother ever had to do mm-hmm. was give her right. up. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm really hoping that we'll hear from um, a dear friend of mine, Olita, who has the experience of, uh, you know, giving a child up for adoption. Um, and I remember just, you know, if we don't hear from her, um, I just want to say just watch, just going, being there at the same time, you know, when she was going through that, um, she spent a lot of time at my apartment and, I just, I've always had such incredible respect um, for the selflessness of it. Um, mm-hmm. My adoption came through um, death. And, you know, there's some adoptions who come because a mother isn't able to take care of um, their child, and so, you know, their their rights are terminated. Um, and, uh, you know, there's lots of different forms how adoption happens. One of the things that... Uh, uh, Mary Ann talked about that I wanted to touch on was that there is this whole movement around should someone who was adopted have to engage a lawyer to find out about themselves. Um, so there is a lot of movement in the adoption arena to try to say, you know, after a certain time, these records, should, it's no longer about the privacy of the um, the parents. It is about the individual, you know, needing mm-hmm. to have access um, to this information for, right. you know, not only just physical or medical reasons, but also for mental health <laughs> um, and just, you know, just to feel like you've got more pieces of the puzzle, as many pieces of the puzzle that you can put together. Um, right. So there is a big movement. Um, if you Google um, accessing adoption um, or uh, looking for your parents, you'll see there's a lot of work out there that needs to be supported on making those records um, available um, so that folks can, if they don't, you know, even if the search doesn't turn out well, at least they've had, have some little glimpse of it. Um, right. So, so thank you so much. I'm so glad that, um, and I, you'll hear me refer to Grand Marianne is what the kids call her, and so do I on occasion, um, that Grand brought that out because I think it's, it's so important to know that it is so individual with, you know, how people work work through or um, just handle the, the status. So, yeah, that, that is so true. Um, yeah. Hey, Annette, I have a quick question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when you were, when you're in your family, were you the only one adopted out of your brothers and sisters? No, f- four of us were adopted by from different families. And so did they know at that point when you first found out your your situation, had they already known that they were adopted? Actually, they were older than me. I was the youngest in the family, and they didn't know either. Okay. We all found out about the same mm. that wow. same day. 
So I wouldn't say that it was like Marianne, what how you handled it and um you know well, was a different way and probably why I asked you yeah. your age because mm-hmm. the whole idea around adoption had started to change and I did adopt my daughter through a private agency and they really worked with me as a young mom um, into what was very new territory. I had not been a mother before. Mm-hmm. And um, just their service was just invaluable. Yeah. There's, there's a national resource that I want to let folks know about, which is called um, PACE. It's the Center Excuse me. It's a center um, for adoption, education, and support, or support in education. And it is, in fact, um, a national uh, agency that's located uh, not very far from here in Maryland um, that is working with families and legislation and um, providers of care for folks who um, are, you know, are struggling to, you know, whether an adoption has gone not so well. Um, but also to encourage um, and celebrate adoption. Um, they also work a lot around multicultural and international adoption. But um, I think their website uh, is going to be on the is on our is on our web page. If not, we'll definitely put it on there. But uh, it's called Case. Um, and so, if folks are looking for some support system, they should be able to put you in touch with maybe some local um, resources. Uh, just to help you manage if that's if that's what's going on, if you feel like you'd like to get more involved in um and, and they do a lot of parenting classes and a lot that's of awesome. especially around that's the teen, would you say would you say around your teenage years, um, Annette, that I know that was a re- for me that was a real a really hard time in addition to just being a teenager. But I, I just always felt like if I just, you know, if I could have just gone somewhere else, it would have been so much easier. And, and it, it, it's painful to say that now because I now appreciate my parents so much. But as a teenager, I was like, well, can I go live with some other? Because <laughs> someone else is trusting me because I'm miserable. Um, what was your teen? What were your, in, in talking about development in your teenage years, what was that like for you? Well, you know, truthfully, I, I think it I think it bothered me a lot until I became adult and I could deal with it. I'm just I had a beautiful relationship with my father and my mom was sort of a tough Irish Catholic woman and she wasn't particularly demonstrative toward any of the kids, biological or adopted, so that really wasn't her way. And I did mm-hmm. sort of long for that mother figure, that mm-hmm. person who maybe I looked like or shared the same things or who was had some of the you know, I had some different I was a little bit different, and I played the piano. I had certain qualities. I'm like, where did they come from? And I was really interested in who I was. And I guess when mm-hmm. I was a teenager, that was when I felt the most sort of, I used to get really bad anxiety attacks, and the feeling that I would have with them was one of abandonment. And I always mm-hmm. wondered mm-hmm. if that's where, it was a sort of a deep, because it wasn't like any particular thing was scaring me. It was this feeling of being isolated and alone and not feeling really connected it's taken me mm-hmm. a long time, a long journey back to repair that and try to understand it. I have with my daughters today a beautiful relationship with them, and it's really funny because I thought for sure I would have a boy baby. And I said, Dad, because I could never handle a girl. Mom and I didn't get along, and my father said to me, 
God's going to give you what you need. And you know, he gave me I have yes. these girls, and it's really done a lot for the healing process for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. You just said you just said a whole handful right there, and I'm telling you. Uh, let me just remind our call, our listeners right now. You can definitely call in if you have an experience with um, with adoption. We would love to hear from you. So please um, call in when you have a moment. Um, the phone number is two one five. Oh shoot! I lost it no. again. I'm sorry. Three four seven. Excuse me. Three four seven two one five six one three eight. Or you can even uh, go ahead and tweet us with your questions, Tasha and Regina, hashtag Devoted Moms. And we actually have somebody that just emailed in their question okay. from Topeka, Kansas. And Woo! probably all, th- all three of you could answer this in some way, shape, or form. But her question is, or her situation is, her biological children have not adjusted easily to their adopted siblings. Mm-hmm. So can any of you speak to that? And I guess all of us could speak to that in some kind of way, but um, Marianne, can you speak to that as far as you said that, you know, your first child was adopted and then you had a biological one after? And now remember, that happens a lot. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) But (laughs) mine happened in a seven-year span. Okay. My my youngest child was seven years younger. But so it it depends on your position in the family. My adopted child was the first one. Mm-hmm. And Regina in her family, she was the last one. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of it really comes down to families in general, not just adopted families, the birth order, the relationship between siblings. I'm the mm-hmm. middle of three girls. That's always a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think it's so much with being adopted. I think it is a problem when when people don't know <laughs> that they're adopted. Because well, I, I can remember also my um, brothers that I was reared with, they kind of also, my oldest brother particularly, um, when I found out, well, we always, I always knew that there was another one. There was four of us in our sibling set. Um, I was the youngest, and I knew we all knew that there was one um, brother who went without, it was not placed with the family. And so um, it was really interesting when I told my brother, my oldest brother, about it. He said, "Well, what do you need another brother for? You already have a big brother." Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it was and so you know it it again he knew my older siblings um I've got siblings that were 13 when I was born and so they they my sister actually used to babysit my brothers um when we all lived in California so they knew mm-hmm. her and they knew I don't know that they knew who she was to me but they knew her and they thought she was mm-hmm. real cool and so he, you know, it was okay that Tracy was someone extra to me. But when it came to this unknown and I was going out to California to meet him and I thought my brother's going to be all excited and he was just like, I don't really know what you got to do that for. And mm-hmm. it it did reduce um, some of my enthusiasm because um, by that time we were both adults and young adults and my connection to him was really strong, and I didn't want to do anything 
that would have, you know, compromised it. Right. Um, and I know that was a big part of, you know, feeling like I could compromise my relationship with him if I, you know, if he decided that, you know, well, you got another brother, you don't need me anymore, I'm done, or whatever. Um, and that, you had, I think you had mentioned that you had, um, uh, your parents also had a biological set of children also. Yes, the five of them. And I have to say that from what your friend is expressing, we're missing the question, we're missing some information, but let's face it, you know, when when the kids are younger, and even when we were younger, all living under the same roof, there's a lot of stuff going on, and you don't always, you know, I think you appreciate your siblings more as you get older. Oh, you know, you're living under the same roof, and someone has your shirt, and it's really annoying. And I see my girls mm-hmm. fighting all the time, and I think sometimes they're going to tear each other's hair out. I do believe they love each other. Yeah, so you throw right. another person into the mix, you know, that just sort of maybe creates a little more chaos. But see, that every, happens in natural things. Exactly that's what I'm saying. I think right, you just see right. that. Even more than exactly, Marianne, that's exactly to my point, is mm-hmm. that, you know, down the road, as they all get older and mature, having another person is one more person to love. I don't know if Absolutely. kids always always grab that right away because there's so much going on mm-hmm. in their little world. And it's a more of a self-centered little world at that time. Right. You know, the mm-hmm. attention and what their needs and they're having their needs met. And, you know, I don't see my daughters always appreciating each other. They have wonderful moments, but mm-hmm. bringing someone else into the mix mm-hmm. even right now it would probably be later that they would be like, gee, Mom, you know what? That was a beautiful addition to our life. Mm-hmm, it's just, mm-hmm. it, that sort exactly. of takes time. Maybe, I don't know how new this person is in their life. Yeah. Yeah, well, she didn't give us a whole implementation. How, 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 how are the parents um, orchestrating or managing it? Yeah. I mean, you know, for, for me, like my, my, because it was such a point of secrecy with my family and my parents, it, we just didn't talk about it. So we couldn't talk through it. You know, we just didn't talk about it. And I think that mm-hmm. made it even harder um, because I often say the brother that's youngest, that's closest to me in age, we're only seven months apart. <clears throat> so it's funny when my mother tells me, I wasn't ever going to tell you. <laughs> and I'm like, I tell wow. you, I totally figured that out. out. <laughs> you know, seven months mm. premature. You know, how did you, do, how did you pull that, you know, how do you pull that off? And then even for her to say, I would have never told you, meant that mm-hmm. she didn't quite understand the impact, um, you know, that it that it has on someone. She mm-hmm. just really wanted, you know, your mind now. And, and, and I think that was a huge point of contention for us for years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But my brother, her biological last child, was always the baby. I was never the baby. I was the youngest, mm-hmm. but I wasn't ever the baby. So that's um, interesting. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tasha, wh- what do you think? Um, given you know that you've got a child that you're going to, you know, have to, um, you know, at points there's going to be lots of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever think about like you know, is there a question that you feel like you're more prepared for, or not prepared for? Um, that's funny you asked that because just recently, probably a few months ago, Jordan and I took her out to dinner, just her and I, because she, the day before, asked Kenny um, if she, you know, if she knew what her biological dad looked like, if she had ever met him. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Kenny said no, and he said, you know, why do you ask? And she said, I just wonder if I have his nose. (laughs) Because I kind of look at all of us and... 
you know, my nose doesn't really look like all of your noses. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, would, it seemed like something just kind of simple and, you know, mm-hmm. not this big, huge question, but in, but really it was because it just kind of let me know that she's been just thinking about these things. So mm-hmm. we did go out and have dinner, just the two of us, and I started to tell her some things about, you know, her biological dad and our relationship and when it was and, you know, just told her a little bit more Um told her there were some things and some choices that I made that I wasn't proud of and that, you know, you make some decisions in life that aren't the best, but the best way to handle that is going forward trying to make the best decisions and the best out of the possible situation that you can. And so, you know, I expressed to her that I intentionally, you know, went out and prayed and for a husband that would love the both of us unconditionally. I, I purposely did that because I wanted to make sure she never had the void of not having a father in her life. And so I let her know that even though my my first choice wasn't always the best one, I did what I did, you know, I I made the best of it. And um, so we had a a really good conversation and she asked me a couple questions that, you know, made my heart jump a little bit. (laughs) But it's always been my intention to be honest with her. And if she's asking the question, then she's ready to hear the answer. So um, so it was a good conversation, and it will be, you know, it will definitely be the first and second and third of, of many mm-hmm. um, because I know that the, the conversation will continue. I gave her every permission to ask whenever she wants to ask about him, and if she ever wants to meet him, you know, if that ever comes up then um, we would support her in that as well. Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, I don't really want to meet him right now. Right. <laughs> you know? Okay. You know, and then we started eating our waffles. So, you know, mm-hmm. was, so um, uh, but I did want to tell you, uh, I just see that we have another caller on. Oh, great. And, yes, this is Stephanie. Stephanie, are you there? I am. Hello, Stephanie. How are you? I am fine. How are you? Fantastic. Hi, Stephanie. Thanks for calling in. No problem, no problem. I was um, talking to Tasha while I saw one of her posts on Facebook talking about adoptions, and I'm actually an adoption specialist for the state of Alabama. Um, right. And that's that's what I deal with for the past 18 months, and I've done 13 adoptions this year alone. Mm-hmm. Wow. Alone. Um, and generally... Our kids here in Alabama are older kids who've been in the system for at least two years or more. Um, we have one child that's been institutionalized for six years, and his adoption will finalize January the 8th. Wow. Uh, he found a foster home last Christmas, day before Christmas, and um, he's been in the same foster home, and they're willing to adopt him. Mm. Wow. So speak a little bit about how... You know, if you said you've been doing it 18 months, you know, so mm-hmm. how has adoption really impacted you? Because I know you're, you know, you're a social worker by trade, correct? Yes, 15 years. Yes, ma'am. Social work is in the mm-hmm. house. So, you know, I, you know, I know is when I was doing, when I was actively working in social work, you know, it was very hard to leave my work, quote unquote, work at home. And, you know, many of the stories personally impacted me, and it was sometimes hard to just walk away from my office. So talk a little bit about how some of the stories and the lives and the children that you've come across, how has, you know, their stories and adoption in general just impacted you personally? 
I mean, it's it's such a wonderful feeling when you can go to court and you know that this child has finally found a forever home and that they're out of the system and that they're happy. You know that they mm-hmm. finally have a, they finally have a home. I mean, we have we don't generally have a lot of babies, but every now and then we'll get a baby in. Um, you know, and this child has this no recollection of all of what happened in their lives. Whereas the older kids have that recollection, they're able to separate themselves from that birth family and the traumatic instances that they had to find a home and to open up their hearts to love. And it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's such a good feeling every time I take a picture of a new family together and they come back six months, you know, a year and say, thank you so much for making me a part of a family. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is awesome. And I bet that it is harder to, to, I know that it's harder the older that they get, it's harder to find a family that will adopt in that well, age no, group. Not, well, no, not, not necessarily. necessarily. I mean, okay. we have, I've had 16-year-olds that have been adopted, you know. Parents wow. have taken a chance on, I'm going to get this teenager who's already raised themselves, and they they have good lives afterwards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's, well, it's amazing that somebody um, who is a teenager would, would even want to be adopted. And the reason it, I had to really be educated to that that if somebody is adopted, even in their late teens, that this gives them a family for life. Mm-hmm. And it is very important. And people will adopt older children, but you really have to, agencies have to really promote that. And a lot of agencies do not have the resources to do that. They have to use their resources um, and not so much have to, but they do use their resources to promote the adoption of younger children. But when you make people aware, uh, because you have to remember in the African-American community, we did not do formal adoption, but we right. always took care of our children. Yes. Right. And I can remember, I'm in my 60s, that my mother had a in her family portrait, there's a little boy, and she said that was the boy who Grandma raised. Mm-hmm. So that was something mm-hmm. that really came natural to us. But to mm-hmm. go in and do it legally was something that we've had to work on through the years. And I think that adopting older children is something that can really be worked on. Right. Well, a lot yeah. of, and a lot of our adoptions here are biracial adoptions. Mm-hmm. Uh, really? You know. Mm-hmm. And we also have a adoptive, uh, it's a pre and a post adoptive placement organization, and they're really great. They come in and step in once the state steps out. They come in and they offer the counseling services, and mm-hmm. uh, if you need, we keep the rest. They, you know, they have the respite services. So they have, we have a really good agency that works along with the state. Do you and, also have subsidized adoption in Alabama? Yes, ma'am, we do. Mm-hmm. What did you say? What did you ask her again? I asked her if they had subsidized adoption oh. in Alabama. Okay. So that's social work term. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a moms out there who may be considering well, adoption may not know what that ex- means. She can explain it to you. <laughs> what, a, what a subsidized adoption is, is, is for those kids who sometimes need, you know, a little extra help, like kids who are therapeutic who who have come out of residential facilities, hospitals, group homes. Um, we do provide monetary assistance to those 
families. And we also, you know, if their kid is age eight and over, they automatically get a subsidy every month. Um, oh, okay. were, how does the state were, of Alabama do that? How how does the state well, that's able not just to statewide? That's a, I mean, that's pretty nationally accepted now, right? It's different states have it. Maryland has yeah. subsidized adoption, but all states do not. No. Oh. I think they realized, one of the things was, was they was realized that one of the reasons why the formal adoptions weren't happening mm-hmm. was because when a child was still through the state, they were going to get resources that would assist with right. taking care of them. Right. Um, and so it was, um, you know, people started being very honest. Mm-hmm. And the systems and the people who are making the allocations and the decisions started listening to if you want to reduce the number of children, you've got to meet the economic demand mm-hmm. um, that's put on right. a family to add another. I mean, and then I just think about your family. I mean, there were nine of you? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. just, mm-hmm. I mean, just what the economic impact had to right. be. Um to, you know, just keep on, you know, taking on and loving some more children. Uh, well, now they, so, do offer, now, they do offer, like, if you adopt a child, they have insurance, um, state insurance, state Medicaid through the age of mm-hmm. 19. Yeah. Um, and they can, okay. go to school, they can go to school free of charge right. in the state of Alabama, any college they want to within the state mm-hmm. of Alabama to the age of Wow, 24. I mean, that's wow. really... Even if they're adopted. That's mm-hmm. incredible. You can go to school free. So even if you don't, mm-hmm. if you're not adopted and you're a regular foster kid and you go home, you, if you spend one night in foster care, you can go to school free up until the age of 24. So wow. people who have the love get the support. I mean, if yeah, you have right. the love in your heart to do it, Absolutely. Som- uh-huh. sometimes you just need, you know, mm-hmm. like you said, there's the economic and practical side of it, of putting another, feeding somebody else and clothing uh-huh. them and... Wow. Well, well, that's incredible. That is awesome to awesome to know, Stephanie. It's Thank really you heartwarming, actually. I think it's inspiring. Yeah. You know, I wanted to ask if you were, in fact, if you had, um, if you are now a, a parent or a mom. Yeah, I have a seven-year-old, so. Um, how has <laughs> your job, how, how is seeing, you know, this different way of family forming, um, affected you as being, uh, if you're listening, I'm going to take for granted, you are a devoted mother. <laughs> um, <laughs> how has it impacted how you parent? Well, it, you know, it. I have a hard time sometimes. I ha- I look at the other the kids that I work with and I try to compare them to my own child. And I have mm-hmm. to stop sometimes and I think, you know, okay, just because my child's an honor roll student, these kids aren't going to be honor roll students. Let me stop pushing them as hard as I push my own child to be. Mm. You know, right? And, and a lot of these kids, I, I, you get to get to love them to the point where they're your own kid. And you know, you all know social workers don't make a whole bunch of money, but sometimes we spend a lot of we spend money out of our own pockets to make sure that these kids have some sense of normalcy. Mm-hmm. You know, right. my child, my child thinks all my kids are her brothers and sisters. You know, she goes with me to see some of these kids on my monthly visits, and mm-hmm. that's her brother and sister. You know, to her. Wow. Oh, that's sweet. That is so sweet. Now, you know what? We actually have a caller online. Let's see if she's still here. Lynn, are you there? Oh, yes. Hello. Hi, Lynn. How are you? Welcome to Devoted Moms. Thank you for calling in. Thank you for uh, allowing me to talk with you. 
So um, I I haven't had to experience adoption directly, but mm-hmm. when Tasha was sharing how um, her daughter had asked her certain questions and the way that she had addressed answering them, that really spoke to me because um, I did not meet my biological father. And it is kind of one of those things where you kind of keep it in the back of your head, like wondering, like, okay, what is, uh, what part of me is a part of them? Mm -hmm. Um, And then just getting to the point where I'm getting older and becoming a mother for myself, um, trying to not let it affect me, but there isn't really a way not to have it affect you. Right. And you feel like still an unknown. Um, so I just wanted to say that I really appreciate that with your daughter, you were honest with her and you did share information with her because I think that makes a big difference. Um, because even if a child is not adopted but they don't have both parents, um, keeping the information for them from them I think can do more harm in the future. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, oh, I totally agree. You know, they'll continue to keep that question mark in the back of their head as they're going through life. Right. You know, and just like a child that is going through having to deal with um, being adopted or placed in a foster home, I think those, those same kind of thoughts as to abandonment or you know, mm-hmm. what did I do wrong? What, you know, why would they just not want to know anything about me? Right. I think that that, it, it can be there for anybody, mm-hmm. no matter the yes. circumstance. Lynn, I want to yeah, really thank you for calling in and sharing that perspective. Uh, I think it's really powerful. And, you know, it, it, I think there's lots of folks um, who've had that experience. And so I'm really glad. That's that's why I said when I was watching Tasha do go through that and, being so bold and open about it, you know, again, you know, we've been doing life for years, but it was just, you know, once again, that's my girl. (laughs) Thank you so much for calling in and sharing um, your experience with us. And I do want to just quickly do a plug for our upcoming show. Um, We are going to highlight, um, speaking of fathers, um, some phenomenal fathers, you know, folks, you know, I don't think there's many moms that can be devoted moms, um, without the support of of phenomenal fathers around, and they may not be in um, in a category that we you know that uh, traditional um, community would like them in, but you know there are lots of really good um, men fathering and making sure that um, they are supporting um, mothers being devoted moms to the best of their ability. And so I'm really looking forward to um, that show in a couple of weeks. Um, I just wanted to make sure that I did a plug for that. Yes, I'm definitely looking great. forward to that show. I think that's going to be a great one. Um, well, this one, is, this one has definitely been a great one. <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> well, you know, I don't I want it to end. <laughs> well, I was going to ask Grand Maria because there are still lots of children out there, and there are also lots of parents or like lots of adults that you know have a longing, but perhaps they've heard nothing but horror stories, um, and that's what gets the most press. You know, I'm turning my adopted child back in. Yeah. 
Unfortunately. We've had those happen before. They've called to say, well, I don't want this child anymore, and I'm on the phone going, please, oh, please, I don't want to have to spend the night up here with them. Please, what is it we can do to help you out? You know, right. see, my daddy used to tell me that all the time. Here's <laughs> <laughs> some of my need for couch work. I thought I could be returned. <laughs> but but you know, you know, in in all sincerity, there there are thousands of kids, you know, who need homes. Um uh-huh. and if people want to adopt, you know, not just here in Alabama but nationwide, I mean you can call your local DFAX area or you can call the one eight hundred adopt us kids dot org. Um, Say that one more time, Stephanie. 1-800-US-KIDS-ADOPT-US.org. You can go online and look at that. But in the state of Alabama, you know, just if there are people listening to that in the state of Alabama, it doesn't cost you anything to adopt. The state will pay for you to adopt a child. Well, Stephanie, as a Tuskegee um, (laughs) um, native, I appreciate the work that you're doing there. Uh, You know, we often don't get good press in Alabama for some of our – services and action. <laughs> Plug for Alabama. I'm really happy to hear that there have been some devoted legislators and, you know, program managers and social workers that are um, really caring for um, children that uh, in the natural sense just didn't didn't get it the first time but certainly had the opportunity to, to make family later on. Um, Grant, I was asking if there were words of wisdom that you could share, um, a little bit of sage, um, with folks who may be considering um, dialing that 1-800 number that uh, Lynn gave us? Um, I don't know. The only thing that really sticks out in my mind and, ha- and has with my own children, because I also have um, children through marriage. I had a couple of children through marriage, is that children or anybody cannot ever have enough love. And that's paramount. Um, A lot of times people think that they don't have the right house, they don't have the right amount, they don't have the amount of money they should have, or they don't have this or that, which are material things. But what it takes in terms of adoption or caring for children is love. That's the important thing. And you don't have to be a perfect parent. There Absolutely. Yes. You do not have home. to be a perfect parent. <laughs> you sure don't. And hey, Stephanie, yeah. I had a, actually a listener just um, tweeted over a question real quick. You might be able to speak to this, but he said that his wife is deaf and mute. Do you feel like this would hinder their ability to adopt? No. There's no. We we can't discriminate on the basis right. of race, creed, or anything. I mean, we have deaf kids that are in the system now who mm-hmm. need homes. I mean, it's really hard for, well, I know for me it's hard for me because I don't do sign language, so I have a pad and a pencil in my car that rides around me all the time, and I have to write notes, and they get frustrated because I can't understand what they're writing. But, no, we um, we don't discriminate, and we have kids with disabilities, you know, physical disabilities, mental disabilities that need homes. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you for that. Awesome. You know what? We really like to um, hear from that um, person who just asked that question. If you do end up being um, taking a child in and choosing a child, I would love to hear it. You know, you know, if you want to follow up with us on it. Um, yeah, that would be awesome. Really they were calling great. from uh, Honduras. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we do, and they do international. You know, we do international adoptions. They're a little longer and a little. You know, it takes a little longer than. 
a regular, you know, domestic U.S. adoption, but it can be done. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Wow. wow. We had no idea, Tasha, that this was the angle that the, or the, 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 the road that this uh, show was going to take, but I am excited that we have, in fact, um, found resources for folks and, um, and hoping that, you know, maybe this is, uh, you know, God kind of saying, hey, you wanted to hear, you were thinking about it, maybe you should act on it because I think mm-hmm. it's just going to make uh, the world just such a better place, you know, for people to have a place to call home and a family, um, however that configuration looks like. Uh, and, is, and one, you know, one more thing, too, they can get an adoption credit just like you get a regular you know, child credit at the end of the year. If they mm-hmm. adopt before the end of the year, they get that adoption child credit also. <laughs> you know. Girl, wow. you are awesome. Thank you for putting yeah. that out there. Because, you know, if it's not your everyday life, you have no idea. You know, if you these are things that are just common to you but not common right. to, you know, you know, folks who are sitting around a kitchen table or have a mm-hmm. show talk or, you know, they just don't know, and it seems so scary and so, um, you know, such a mystery. So well, you, know, right. have, you know, and, too, if they have questions, you know, feel free to ask their local agency. When a kid is, when a child is adopted, we give them as much background information on that child, that family, the mother, the father, the grandparents, and everything. We give them medical records. We give them every single thing that we can find on the family. So once the child turns 19, the child can actually request those records, and the state will hand those records over to the child mm-hmm. so they can know about them. Right. Big up wow. Alabama. Big up I know, Alabama. right? Check it out. <laughs> So we are just about out of time. Yeah. Oh my gosh! We have yeah. a ton of questions. I think our God so we'll story is that we part three. Our God story <laughs> that we had exactly who was supposed to be on the show on the show and calling in and emailing and I am just um, sitting in such gratitude right now that um, you know it, it, as an adopted child I think I thought I was the only one. <laughs> so, <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, it's excited for me to have heard so many perspectives, and I think we'll, you know, we probably should follow up with this, you know, with this conversation. Um, and I'm looking for, so. yeah, yeah, I'm available yeah. pretty much any time. You know, if I if you call me and I call in and I'm on the road driving, you know, I can put my phone on so I can talk. I'm using around free. the tape. Yeah, I have free. hands free. So. Annette, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, Brandon. thank you so thank much you. for thank having you me. for having us. <laughs> all right. so nice to meet all of you. Yeah, you too. See you next week. Tasha, I love you. I love you. Bye, devoted mom. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Tasha, I don't know what to do at the end.